Hi, welcome to Acting Out. I'm Tyler. I'm Elizabeth. And today we're talking about Elizabeth's favorite topic, ABA therapy in rural areas. How are you doing today, Elizabeth? I'm good. You know, just enjoying this beautiful snowy Saturday. I agree with that. It's good to be stuck in the house sometimes, even though uh, I actually live in a rural area, so we don't get snowplows through here often. (laughs) I am doing my dead level best to move back to my rural hometown. Like it is, I'm, I'm trying as hard as I can. So my goal is, even though I do live in like the more um, city area now, like my goal is to live where having access to a snowplow is not a choice. That's my goal. Then I'll just be stuck in the house and I'll be like, sorry, Zach, I can't come to work. Oh, no. (laughs) But that's when BCBAs can uh, bill for telehealth. I sure can in my pajamas with my comfy socks on. That is... That's what I want. That's my plan. Let's jump right into it, Elizabeth. Okay. Can you define what rural ABA or a rural area is for us? Um, I sure can. So, you know, in preparation for this episode, we did want to come up with some operational definitions, and there are several. Um, so I wanted to come up with, you know, my opinion of what rural is, but in addition to that, like, what the government and what, like, other entities consider to be rural. And so here's a couple. Um, The Health Resources and Services Administration, which is some arm of the government, um, defines a rural area as any area that is not urban is rural, which I honestly think is kind of a weird way to define it. But the way that they classify that is that like it must have less than 50,000 people to be rural and it has to have more than 50,000 people to be classified as urban. so basically, if you have 50,000 people or more, the government thinks that you're urban. If you have less than that number, the government thinks that you are rural. Um, National Geographic, and I know that it's like, Elizabeth, why did you look National Geographic? But I did that because it felt like they go and they travel and they do all these other things. And I kind of want to see like what their opinion of it is. Um, so they declare a rural area as any open swath of land that has few homes or other buildings and not very many people, which is a very broad term, but not very many, what I'm assuming also be less than 50,000. Um, and just basically the population is very low. There's not a lot of people. Uh, my personal definition of rural is that if I can get stuck behind a tractor and that's a viable excuse for being late to work, then it's rural enough for me. So that's my thought process on that. Okay, I totally agree with that. Um, personally, my definition of rural is um, if everybody knows your name in a town, that's rural. Um, and not, I'm not talking about oh, like... Oh, yeah, or at least your last name. Yeah, I'm not talking about like, oh, you know, oh, you've done something popular. I'm just talking about, oh, yeah, they live right down the street. Yeah, I can walk over and get a cup of sugar. So that is what I consider <laughs> rural. Um, but... Your definition, I do live in a rural area, but I will never get stuck and be late for work. Um, so Why not? Are you too good for tractors, Tyler? No, I'm not too good for tractors. It's just <laughs> I leave early enough so I can go to Starbucks. So. <laughs> oh, okay. So I, I don't leave early enough for work, which might be true, but we don't need to talk about that. Um, okay, fine. That's fair. That's fair. So you said you live in a rural area. So like, what is your, I grew up in a rural area, but what do you, um, 
when you say you live in a rural area now, like what does that look like for you? Uh, so there's like tobacco barns very close to my house. Um, there are I love that there are train tracks, not like your typical like subway train tracks. You know, obviously we don't have those here, um, but there are like train tracks that go like right by my house, and it's very loud at night. I can't get a decent night's sleep um, sometimes, and then. Um, like the little mom and pop shops, you know, like you may see those downtown in a city, but like they're all over this place. Um, so those two were like the landmarks. So to me, that sounds more like the landmarks of like a rural community, which would be, I mean, you can have train tracks that aren't just subway tracks in the city. Like you can have, you know, you can have little mom and pop shops, but I think kind of the vibe that you're setting up is like, it's this little area and there's, you know, there's not a lot of corporation um corporation stores like i mean we all know in any rural area there will be a walmart okay so what you're saying is like the vibe of it is like very small town lots of fields lots of cows lots of train tracks mom and pop shops like very mid 90s country okay let me put it to you this way i think this one will relate to you because i know we, we had a conversation the other day because you were reading Little House on the Prairie during your snow or snowstorm, um, so it's a really Im- good book. Imagine Little House on the Prairie, like when uh, um, what's her name, Laura, and all of those people go into town on their horse and buggies, but just make it more the, modernized. The Ingles, yeah, yes, the Ingles. Just make it more modernized with cars and you know light poles and electricity and all that type of stuff. So a small town, very small. <laughs> okay, all right. I think we have. Um, danced around the several different ideas of what rural America looks like, what that looks like and what that might mean. Um, Yeah, I like that. Okay. So today, you know, obviously we're talking about ABA in rural areas and it's one of my favorite topics. And it's one of my favorite topics because I grew up um, outside of Nashville. And when you say outside of Nashville, like a lot of times you think of what Nashville is like now. Like Nashville now is like a much bigger city. It's exploding. People are moving here from all over the country. Um, it's this huge, it's becoming this huge place and it's becoming like its own um, very large metropolitan area. But when I was growing up, and I'm talking about like mid 90s, early 2000s, but you know, in the 90s and in the early 2000s, it wasn't like that. It was very much still, it was a city, but it was almost like a joke of a city in a certain way. Not to say that Nashville's ever been a joke, but just, it was like not a lot of high-rise buildings. There was one high-rise building and it was the Batman building, which is now the AT&T building. But if you're from Nashville, you call it the Batman building. Like, it was just, it was the closest city. And like a lot of people traveled from, you know, Cheatham County and Robertson County and traveled to Nashville for work because, you know, there may not have been enough work in those counties. So you traveled there. And so when I think about it, like, and I think about how I grew up, like, even though we were close living in like Pleasant View and Springfield in those areas, even though we were close to a, a city, I still consider that I grew up in a rural area because it took forever to get anywhere and you got stuck behind tractors and you know if there was a funeral if some I remember once like just thinking of like the community aspect of a rural area I went to a small school and 
someone died that didn't work at the school, but the school had to close because that person was related to 90% of the staff. So everybody had to go to the funeral. And that's not something that I think, you know, necessarily happens in areas that aren't rural or aren't necessarily, um, you know, small when things don't affect communities in the same way. And so even though now, like, yes, I don't live in the most rural of areas at this present time, I do work in rural areas. So I work into of actually what at one point was considered to be the most agricultural counties in the state. And so with that, there are a lot of things that have to be considered and a lot of aspects that a lot of changes because I didn't always work in the rural areas like I always wanted to. Like my main goal has always been to go, I called it going home, even though it was 30 minutes down the road, going home and working in the places where I come from. Because when I was growing up, you know, the things that are available now weren't available then. And despite the growth of Nashville and despite the growth of some of those towns, those things still aren't available to everybody else. So that's why it was, you know, it was important to me. So it's what I'm getting is like, you like the close knit family, like type uh, community, like everybody's your friend and family pretty much. I mean, I do now. I didn't when I was growing up. When I was growing up, I hated it because I couldn't go anywhere. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like um, I would go to Sonic with like my high school boyfriend and my dad would show up in his work van. And it was like, and it wasn't even that he was following me because he didn't know, but it was like me and this guy would be like, you know, doing whatever. And there would be my dad and be like, oh, hi, dad. Like, it was just a very small community is what I like now, but I hated it when I was growing up. Hated it. Didn't like it at all. You didn't have any freedoms back then. So, (laughs) and I mean. No, I didn't. I didn't have any freedom and I had a lot of watchful eyes. I wasn't doing anything interesting, but that was primarily because I was terrified of my parents that I wasn't going to do anything interesting because I didn't want to be grounded into eternity. Right. So small towns have their pluses and their minuses when you're a teenager. I completely agree with that. Um, yeah. So you grew up in a rural area. You currently live in a urban area as uh, National Geographic would define it. So. Yeah. And you practice rural and you practice urban. ABA. So, I do. So can you tell me a little bit of the differences on like what you do compared to rural and urban ABA? Um, yeah, so I can. I think one of the biggest differences, well, for starters, just for anyone who doesn't know anyone, I mean, a lot, right now at this point, most of our friends are the people listening, but anyone who isn't and, you know, just wants to listen because we're cool and awesome and you want to hear how great we are. But truly, just for the ABA content, um... But okay, the point. So right now I work in three counties. Like if you looked on our company's website, it says I work in one, but I actually work in three. So I work in Montgomery County, Cheatham County, and Robertson County. Montgomery County is at the top. It's right next to Kentucky. And then under it is Cheatham and Robertson counties. And so I live in Montgomery County. And in Montgomery County, um, it's right next to Fort Campbell. And it's huge. So Clarksville... For example, like my sister and my dad both live in Clarksville and it takes me 35 minutes to get to their houses. That, and it's all in the same, it's like their address is Clarksville, my address is Clarksville, like we all live in Clarksville, but it's a huge area. Like it's it's just ginormous in comparison to 
what I grew up with and like what I quote unquote 15 year old Elizabeth and 30 year old Elizabeth would be used to. Um, and so within that, like just to kind of mention like Montgomery County schools or Montgomery County ABA, because we're right next to, um, you know, we're right next to Fort Campbell. So a lot of, there's so much ABA in Montgomery County. And that is a good thing. You know, it's, that's, there's, it's not a bad thing at all. Um, there's in-home ABA, there's clinic ABA, there's, if you don't like how one clinic's doing it, you can go to another clinic. And if that clinic has a wait list, in theory, you could leave one clinic, go join another clinic while the clinic that you're waiting for, while you're on the other clinic that you really want to get into is wait list. Like you have a lot more choices. And I'm not trying to say that all of those things are very easy um, to do or that it's, you know, it's all easy peasy, quick and fast, but you have a lot more, you have tons of choices. You have choices for ABA, OT, PT, speech, feeding, aquatic therapy, um, different schools, different school, um, school systems, different CDC classes. Like you have all these choices in Montgomery County. And then you go to, I'm going to speak primarily for Robertson County. Um, so it's like in that County that I know of, there's one place to get speech, one place to get OT, a couple places to get PT, one place to get feeding. And again, this is that I know of in that County. Um, and if that place is full or they don't have time for you on your schedule, then you have to go back on the wait list. And again, this is not me trying to speak for them or speak for any other company. This is just what I've been told and what I've experienced for myself. So there's that. And, you know, to my knowledge, there aren't any other in-home ABA providers. Um, and there, as to my knowledge, are no clinics in that area. So that is very different um, than, you know, whenever I was going, I always, it always goes back to your experience. So like in my previous experience, you know, there were lots of resources for families. There was lots of resources, lots of places that people could go, lots of places where people had choices. Um, people weren't as skeptical because they have more access to the resources. And so it's more familiar to them. You're not, it's, it's just different. And then whenever you're going into a more rural area, um, it is more, people can be more skeptical because what is a behavior analyst? And, you know, they're not, not everybody wants to hear the formal definition. So you have to explain it quick, fast, and in a hurry because it's like, okay, but what do you do? Yeah. It's like, like, well, I do. Yeah. You have to give them that 15 second elevator speech pretty much. So. I know, I know exactly yeah. what you mean. So personally, because I do live in the rural area, as I know of, uh, I don't think there's any home services for children on the spectrum. Um, there's no OT. There's no PT. Uh, there is maybe two clinics for medical purposes. Um, and then I believe that's it. Like... Um, so anybody that actually needs services, they I think they may get them through school. However, my cousin is a teacher, and she's reached out to me multiple times and be like, hey, is there something that we can do, to, you know, whatever. And, this, you know, that goes beyond me. Um, but, no, I do understand what you're saying, how people are skeptical of ABA in rural yeah. areas. Well, and it's just different because they're, you know, 
when you come from a like metropolitan area or a more metropolitan area, you know, there's a lot more resources and there, there's a lot more resources from the get go. And honestly, I think that's one of the biggest differences is, you know, there's more, it's just that there's different levels of healthcare. So there's more, um, there's more primary care doctors. There's more just your, just your base level healthcare. There's more choices in a metropolitan area. You have more than one or two dentists to choose from, um, in that area. You have more than one, you know, primary care doctors. You have a lot more choices. Whereas if you're in, um, if you're in a more rural area, and that is something that, you know, those rural areas where I'm talking about have, have really expanded. So when I was growing up, you know, they, you didn't have multiple dentist choices. You didn't have multiple, um, doctor choices. You didn't have those things without, you know, doing some traveling. Whereas like that's been an, there's been an increase there. There's been, there's more hospitals now. There's more, um, emergency services, there's, there's a lot more of those things, but then you start getting into the specialized healthcare and ABA is considered specialized healthcare because, you know, it is specialized. Um, and there's less choices, like there's just less choices. So, you know, I'm thinking, and I'm thinking I've met two behavior analysts that I I was thinking I've met two or three, um, in the County where I work. One of them doesn't do APA anymore. Um, I eat at her restaurant all the time. And she was like, I didn't want to do it anymore. I needed a break. So I opened a restaurant, which, you know, kind of refers back to burnout, because that's one of the reasons why she doesn't do the job anymore. Um, One or two work in the school system. And um, one I have heard of, and I've never met, like I've, I've heard of her. And I've only heard of her because um, there's just Simply just because the people that I work with were like, in a, were just brought up that name and that was it. Like there wasn't anything else. So, you know, it's just different and it's different in that, um, there's also just differences in like what you do when you get, when you realize that somebody needs services or somebody needs to be assessed or somebody needs a referral to get a diagnosis, to get access to services is different. Like that is super different whenever you don't have a lot of choices. It's like, okay, well, like, honestly, like, I know about that from my experience. Because when I was diagnosed with, when I was in second grade, and again, this is like late 90s, I had issues at school. And my parents knew that something was wrong. And my mom knew that something was wrong. And we couldn't figure out, they couldn't figure out what it was. And so eventually, um, I got a referral to see a specialist, but I had to travel to, I think it was Birmingham, Alabama to get a specialist, to see a specialist. And it wasn't even like at a hospital, it was at someone's home. Like they worked out of their home to get this specialized care or to get, and to get my diagnosis. And then when I got home, my mom had to drive over an hour, multiple times a week to Nashville for me to get services. And you know, we're talking about, and it always comes up like, well, why did you stop working in a super populated area where you have a lot more job options? And honestly, frankly, it's a lot easier than, and start working in a different 
place. And the reason for me is because I know exactly what that's like. Like I know what it's like to be a kid and dragged to multiple specialists and feel like something is wrong with me and I don't know what it is and then have to spend hours and hours and hours instead of doing fun things traveling so that I can go receive services and I still don't fully understand what's going on because you know you're a child and somebody can say something to you but you don't understand why your eyes and your brain don't work together like they're both moving so what's the problem and so I remember that and that's why I wanted to you know that's why when I went to grad school I was like okay I want to I want to go home and I want to work in these areas because I know what that's like. Like, I, I know what that's like. And, you know, being in those areas now, it's gotten better in so many ways, but it hasn't in so many ways because you're still, there's still, there's more resources, but there's still not as many resources. And they're still the same, like, you know, there's economic barriers, there's cultural barriers, there's financial barriers, there's healthcare barriers, there's just, there's a lot of barriers. And that's not to say that living in a rural area is nothing but barriers. There's tons of great things, but there are a lot of more barriers and those barriers are more pronounced. Like, for example, um, getting to work can be a problem. You know, I live over an hour away from where I work at this point and that's by my choice. It's well, that's partly by my choice and partly because the housing situation is a little bit chaotic, but this isn't a political podcast, so we'll keep that out. The point of all of that is to say, you know, I, my roads in my county on my street can be clear. That does not mean that when I'm driving through a hauler and... Hold on, what's a hauler? Tyler. Okay. A holler is, it's like a hollow, a holler. It's like um, in between two hills, almost like a valley. Okay. That may, Okay, so we both grew up in, this goes back to cultural differences. We both grew up in rural areas. Okay, fair, fair. But she grew up more in like an agricultural type place where there's hills and stuff. I didn't. Mine's just like yeah. flat land, you know, barns and fields. There's no hills, nothing. So I don't know what a holler is. Okay, well, I'm sorry. So, I mean, it goes to the cultural differences. <laughs> well, that's a holler. Or, like, that's what I call a holler. I'm sure if you talk to someone else or you listen to someone else, like, they might say a holler or something different for them. And it's technically a hollow, but I'm not saying that. Like, <laughs> it's a holler. <laughs> but, okay, so if somebody lives at the bottom of that and there's snow, yeah, maybe there's a snow plow. Maybe there's not. Maybe the snow plow could reach them. Maybe it couldn't. Like, and then, frankly, I'm not driving all the way out there and getting stuck on a back road, and there's not going to be anybody to come and get me out. No. I mean, there might be somebody. There might be somebody with a big truck, but then I'm still just going to get stuck on the side of the road two feet later. So you have to think about those things. Like, that's a, that's, that's a barrier that you have to think about whenever you think about these things. Yeah, and I love that fact that, like, I mean, you're so empathetic to, like, the children that are experiencing what you experienced when you were little. So I kind of have that same feeling towards like rural areas. Um, there's not a lot of providers here, if any, for ABA. Um, so that's one thing that I want to do once, you know, everything is certified and, you know, is to provide services to that rural area. Um, because I have had a lot of parents come up to me and be like, hey, what do you do? I give them the 15 minute or 15 second elevator speech. 
And then I was like, well, how do I get my kid into ABA? I was like, first you need a diagnosis. Well, where can I get that? Yeah. I, and also, like, the information isn't as you readily have to travel. Av- yeah, you have to travel. And it's like, I was really lucky. My mom is a stay-at-home mom, and my dad was able to provide for our family. And this, again, is in a completely different – a completely – it was just a completely different time in a lot of ways. And my dad was – my parents were able to survive off of a one-income household. Well, that's not always the case now, and that's not always that's not always been the case for anyone, but that's certainly in this current economic situation, that's not always the case. And so getting your kid evaluated, it's especially expensive. if you have a special... It's expensive. And if you have a high special needs kid, or if you're a high special needs adult, or anything like that, and you're taking your child to multiple specialists... That cuts into your income. And so then it's like you've gone to all of these specialists and you're traveling and traveling can cost money. And if you're, you know, it's not it's not always just, oh, I traveled from Springfield to Nashville and went to Vanderbilt for a couple hours and then I came home. Sometimes it's like we had to go to Knoxville. And when you go to Knoxville, you have to go, you know, it, it's Knoxville. Like you're, you may not be able to you may not be able to go up there. It's a four-hour drive. Go to Knoxville. Go to whatever. See whoever. But then you may have to stay the night. Or you might have to stay multiple nights. And then you're having to pay for that. And you're having to miss work. And you're doing all those things. And while this is not exclusive to a rural situation, it's certainly... It's more prominent to happen with people in rural areas. Yeah. And, like, people in more rural areas are, again, more prone to... You know, I don't want to say, here's what I don't want to come out of this podcast before. I don't want it to look or sound like I think that everyone who lives in a rural area is impoverished. I think that is an absolutely horrific misrepresentation, misrepresentation and stereotype that we frequently place in this country on individuals who live in rural areas. I don't want to, I don't want to generate that at all. What I do want to say is that statistically, there is a higher opportunity there is a higher chance that if you live in a rural area that you will have less money than people who don't live in rural areas and that could be a variety of reasons that could be because there just aren't as many jobs that could be because there isn't as good enough there isn't as good education that don't doesn't give you as many choices and that's not necessarily true for the areas I'm talking about I'm just saying in general looking at it looking at it as an overview so if you don't have as many choices and you don't have as many things and then somebody's telling you that you have to go here 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 and here to help your kid you're going to do those things but it is also going to impact your life and it might impact your life in a way that it doesn't impact somebody who in a in a it might impact your life in a different way than it impacts someone who is closer to those resources like because if you live in nashville and you have to travel to another place in Nashville, you might have to take off an afternoon. You might not have to take off a whole day. And that impacts your, that that affects your economic stability over time. Can I add something into that really quick? Yeah, for sure. So you were talking about economics and like economical status. Um, and it's important to remember, one, we're still in a pandemic. So, I mean, there's, yeah. not, there's not a lot out there for some people. Two, a lot of the people that live in rural areas, they are farmers and they do depend on their crops to come in and to to fund their resources or whatever. And sometimes that's not feasible. Um, 
And then it also depends, like, for tobacco, for instance. Like, if tobacco's not selling that well, you're not going to make that much money, which is not going to bring a lot of income in. So, I mean, like you said, it's not improvident. There's a lot more variables. Yeah. So... Um, but you can continue. I was just, I just thought I should throw that in there because I mean, no, I think it's a great point because like, it's just, it's just a different, it's a good point. Um, you know, and then I also think because there are like, so we're talking about like barriers to implementation. So some of the barriers of implementation are also led by people who have shown up in these areas and who have not necessarily done quality work. Um, that's also a barrier because if there's one BCBA in, if there's one BCBA in a 50 mile radius and that BCBA shows up and does a crap job, rural communities are close knit. Special needs communities can be even, yeah, special and special needs communities within a rural community can be even more close knit and you get your reputation and you can freaking lose that reputation just as fast like you can get that reputation and earn a good reputation or you can get a bad reputation and have earned that bad reputation or sometimes you just pissed off the wrong mom and well you're out of luck like it's just you know and you have to you have to consider that and that's something like so a couple of places where I've worked or a couple of places it's been like well we had someone come from And this, I think, also goes into the cultural differences. We had someone come from Nashville, and they were driving in once a week. And because they're driving in once a week, they didn't take the time to know the family. They didn't take the time to – and not everyone does this. This is just a specific situation. I don't know who the BCBA was. I would never say so anyway, but I really don't. Like, I don't know anything about them. I don't even know what company it was. But they were driving in to town, and they made – they upset this family. Like, they – upset this family they didn't get to know them they didn't get to know their values they didn't get to know what was important to them they didn't take into what we always talk about on the podcast like the social validity of it they didn't take any of those things into account and so the mom was like so what I get out of ABA she's like look from this previous experience with this person who she's like you guys are just super educated snotty people who come into town piss off my kid and leave Like, that is a conversation that I had. And I'm pretty sure it was my first intake with PBA in this, in this, (laughs) in this county. And I was like, okay. And I just, I don't exactly remember what I said, but it was something to the effect of, well, I grew up in Pleasant View. I was like, so I, like, I don't think I'm better than you. And I don't think I'm better than anybody. I grew up two miles that way. And also, like, I went to church three miles this way and I don't think, and I just was like, I don't think I'm better than you. And I don't think I'm more educated. I just think that I know how to do this thing. And if you want me to help you, I will. And like, just, just coming into that, because like when you're thinking of people who may have had, um, different opportunities, may have had the same opportunities as everybody else, but may not have, and you come into their house and you, again, culturally act like, well, I'm from Nashville and I've got these and I've got this special degree and I know all these things and you clearly can't parent your child, so I'm gonna do it for you. Like that is not gonna get you that's gonna get you a bad reputation and that's gonna make more people in the area not wanna work with you and not only not wanna work with you, if you're the only behavior analyst they know, then they're gonna think all behavior analysts are like that. Exactly. And then uh, the bad reputation of the BCBA or, you know, whoever is coming in to implement 
uh, you're not going to get buy-in from the parents. And we all know that, like, buy-in from the parents or caregivers is, like, top tier to make uh, a program work. Um, so Yeah. But then also, like, thinking of, like, the cultural – because, you know, we've kind of discussed, like, some of the barriers. But there's also a lot of – there's a lot of positivity in a rural community. There's a lot of – there's more pros than there will ever be cons in a rural community in so many ways. There's a community that is created whenever it is, whenever you know someone and you know their grandma and you know their uncle and you know, you know, you guys all went to church together or if you don't go to church together, like everybody understands why. And I bring up church a lot simply because in a lot of rural communities, particularly the rural communities where I work, those things are very important to them. And that is to be respected at all costs. But, you know, you know these people and they know you and you create these relationships with them and these relationships last over time. Whereas like, you know, if you work beside in three years, a lot of my clients when I worked in Montgomery County were gone simply because of the insurance that I took and the fact that most of the families were military at the particular time in three years, they're gone. And maybe they'll remember being, maybe they won't, but in a rural community, most of those people are there because they haven't left, because they don't want to leave, because why would you? It's beautiful and there's, it's just absolutely gorgeous. So I wouldn't want to leave. I don't, I'm, I spent my whole childhood trying to get out and I'm like, please take me back. But, you know, you, you build relationships with them and those relationships last over time. Like, you know, you might work with someone in kindergarten and then you walk, then you, you know, walk them walk across the stage when they graduate high school. Like, there's just, there's so much positivity there. What I think is really important, and it's so funny because, well, I'm just thinking about, like, the cultural aspects of it. So, Tyler, have you've been to TABA, Taba right? The Tennessee, Tennessee Association of Behavior Analysis? Yes, I have. Conference? I it. Yeah. Yeah. I knew we'd watched it together, but I didn't know if you'd went, I couldn't remember if you went physically. So, thinking of, like, the cultural differences or just, like, the cultural aspect of it. I went to my first Taba conference. I was like a brand new baby RBT and getting my supervision hours. And I'd never been to a conference before. And I heard Pat Fryman speak, which of course was amazing because he's awesome. But in that, there was also, it was like um, when cultural CEUs became a big thing in Tennessee because of licensure and all the other stuff. And in that, it was like, go to this. I went to um, a cultural CEU. And I wasn't getting CEUs. I was just learning and experiencing. And I went into it and I was like, wow, like from my perspective, having grown up how I grew up, living the places that I lived, I genuinely thought I was going to learn how to work with like, how to work in an area if there's a different language barrier, like things like that. Because that's what I was thinking was like the cultural difference. And then I go, Go ahead, Tyler. You look like you're going to say something. Yeah. I mean, you brought that up, and then it just it struck a spark in my head. Um, because you went to that cultural CEU, it doesn't mean, like, you're going to, like, in an urban area, you're, you're going to have a lot more um, minorities or different cultures. Um, for instance, like, yeah. me, me personally, um, most of my clients are POCs or persons of color. Um, right. And then, like, currently I have one, and it's just, like, the hardest thing because I've never worked with this, like, type of culture. Um, so it, it's hard. And I'm, like, I'm, I'm, 
at a loss, I would say. Um, but luckily, I do have some great supervisors that have supported me with uh, some resources and how to do this uh, because it's hard. Like, because culturally, she's a for like the parent, you know, she's in her mid 30s, early 40s, or whatever. Um, not one, but two have are on the spectrum. And I'm a 27 year old male coming in trying to tell her, like, this is how you should do whatever, or I have to model response blocking. Yeah. Or she asked me a question, um, which I already have permission to do this because, you know, it's I'm competent in modeling response blocking. Um, but she's like, okay. And then I'll give her the floor and she can interact with the kids or whatever. And he engages in the behavior and she doesn't do it. And this has happened multiple times and it's, it's not that she refuses to do it. I just don't think she want to, she she doesn't want to take directions from a twenty seven year old male, culturally. Yeah. Because, like, she can talk to her husband, um, and she'll do whatever he says. Or, like, uh, my supervisor, she like she's roughly the same age as the parent. Will tell her or model, and she'll do it just fine. So it's just culturally, she won't take direction from a twenty seven year old male. I believe. I can't, yeah. I can't say if that's correct or not, but. Um, it's just like in the city. You'll no, have... I think it's correct if it's your experience. Like it's it's correct if it's your experience. Okay. Like you can't interpret if you're, ex- you know, in this field, we get so wrapped up with trying to make sure that the data is correct and trying to make sure that like all of our dots are in a row so that nobody thinks we're dumb and everybody's nice to us. But if that's what you're experiencing, then that's what you're experiencing. And that doesn't change simply because you're the born experiencing it and not somebody else. I understand. It's just, you know, it's hard. So I, I mean. So I think when you're talking, when you're talking about like it in the context of this, you know, this episode, are you trying to say that when you're in a city area, you may experience more diversity than you may experience in a rural area. Is that where you're trying to go? Yeah, I guess you would say that. Um, because I mean, Honestly, if I had a rural client like you, I probably wouldn't have that issue because um, I grew up in a rural area. So I know most of the cultures. Yeah. So you relate more to it. I mean, walking into a house and they offer you a cup of sweet tea. I mean, that's culturally what they do in the South. trying to figure out how to politely turn that down. Yeah. Um, So it's just hard. Yeah. Well, and I think that kind of leads back to... Like, what I was saying originally was I went into this CEU thinking I was going to learn about working with people who aren't, people who don't look like me, people who don't, um, thinking I was going to talk, literally deal with another culture. And I walked in, and I was so disappointed in this, um, actually really, frankly, quite good presentation, because it was literally all about this all about the culture I grew up in it was all about working in a rural community and it was all about like the differences and the things that are the same and the and all of these things and I remember being like and the person who was lit who um was delivering it lives in the county where most of my family lives and I was like what like this is I was like this isn't I was like this isn't gonna help me like this isn't gonna do anything for me but then it because I didn't consider I never considered that and please know, I was like 24 <laughs> and a very different person at the time. But I never considered that like rural 
Living in a rural area is its own culture. I didn't consider that because it was all I had really ever known. So if that's all you ever know, you, you don't recognize that it is its own culture within itself. And that can be easier in some ways to reach out to the people who live in that community because that's your community too. But if you're, if, but if it's not and you're coming into it, you know, there's some things that you need to consider. I mean, Tyler, like if you, if you were going to teach, and I have no idea what areas Zach has ever worked in, but if you were going to give Zach, just simply because he's the behavior analyst that's on here, if you were going to give him advice on how to work in a rural community based off of maybe you haven't worked in a rural community, Tyler, but you grew up in it and that makes it just as valid. Your experience in this area is just is just as valid as any research article I can read. So what would what would be some of the advice that you would give him or give somebody else? Um, I could totally give him some tips on what to expect walking into a rural house. Um, they're going in the off- rural South. We should probably special. We yeah. should probably emphasize that because um, that's where we're from. They're going to offer you some sweet tea or a water or something. Um, they're probably going to offer you something to eat. Uh, Typically, that happens with me when we're working on, like, a food protocol. Um, the parents are like, oh, hey, are you hungry? No, thanks. Um, you know, you got to use those ethics there. And it, declining that, you're probably going to get some pushback. Um, and if you accept it, I mean, it does create a buy-in with the parents. But you're also, you know, those ethics. But you can't because of the rules. Yeah. Um, so just bring your own water bottle. Like, that's the hint here. Bring your own water bottle. It can be empty, but grab it and bring it in. Uh, because that way, they're like, you're like, oh, no, I just drank a bunch of stuff. I'm fine. That's my advice. What else? Well, according to you, you will never be late to work if you leave super freaking early. So if you get stuck behind a tractor, it's fine. And it's not a viable reason to be late to work. I mean, if you're having, a, if you know it's going to be a rough session, I would say get stuck behind a tracker. Um, I mean, it's just making me laugh. I mean, I learned my lesson, so I do leave early to go to Starbucks. And if Starbucks is busy, I go to a local coffee shop called Lasseter's, and you will uh, just PSA get the spice chai latte with cinnamon on top, no whipped cream. Just saying, Um, it's better without cinnamon or whipped cream. Just so, just since we're talking about our coffee orders, don't. It's better without it. Just so everybody is aware, Tyler has terrible taste. Um. I think people are going to think I'm bullying you. I'm so sorry. No. Okay. So first of all, since we're talking about coffee orders, uh, I'm never late. I was actually early on time last week. Okay. To a session. Um, They weren't expecting me till 10. I got there at nine. Okay. And then I was like, okay. Yeah. So I texted Elizabeth. I was like, hey, are you free? And she was like, yeah, I'm going to a coffee shop to work on some stuff. And I was like, I'll meet you there. What'd you get, Elizabeth? I don't know. What did I get? Something basic. Quit making fun of me because I'm basic. I'm allowed to be a basic white girl if I want to. That is my that is my culture. Don't make fun of me. <laughs> basic. Or one time we went we to can't all be bu- we went to Don't Star- you freaking dare tell this story. Yes, I'm telling the story. We went to Starbucks because um I just I'm so mad at you. <laughs> So our company is broken up into regions and our regional, we share the same regional director. We don't work together, but we share the same regional director. 
So we had a regional meeting with our regional director. Jump off a cliff, Tyler. We met at Starbucks. And, you know, that's one thing I love about this company is because they will buy you coffee at every meeting. Love it. Anyway. Echo uh, will. If you're um, coming to meetings with me, I'm balling on a budget. So you're not getting coffee. Sorry. um, And she was like, can I get a pumpkin spice latte? I think she said, hold the whipped cream. And on the side, can I get a cup of ice to put in there? And I'm like... Because it's too damn hot. It is too damn hot. It's always piping. It's there first thing in the morning. It is too hot. And why should I sit there and suffer for four min- for 40 minutes waiting for it to cool down when all I could do is be like, thank you so much. And let me get my cup of ice and put a little bit in there. And then we need to get back on topic because nobody wants to hear about our coffee orders for the next 40 minutes. Why didn't you just get an iced pumpkin spice latte? Hold the whip. Because I didn't want an iced pumpkin spice latte. I wanted a hot one, but I wanted it warm. I didn't want it hot. I wanted it warm. But you can't go up there and be like, can I have a warm? And then. Like, they don't give you that. That's not the end of it. The barista forgot the ice. So our supervisor, she always, or the regional director, whatever you want to call it, she always gets a small cup of water. Yeah, she's not my supervisor. With ice. She's my supervisor. She gets a small cup of water with ice. Elizabeth had the nerve, like, Echo, can I have a piece of ice? <laughs> like, come on, Elizabeth, stop being basic. Anywho. Um, Anywho, okay, but bringing this back to rural, just so you are aware, if you work in a rural county, you may not be able to go to a drive through Starbucks. They're not always available. So just be prepared for that if you decide to do rural ABA in a rural area. I will. Most of the time you will have to bring your own coffee. Um, so. Since that is so drastically important to this episode. I mean, let's, Tyler, be, let's be honest here. We're going to be honest. Everybody that listens to this podcast is mostly behavior analytic in some shape, form, or fashion. Whether you're an RBT, a BCBA, a BCBA D, a BACBA, we run off coffee. It's it's the nature of the job. We run off coffee. Coffee, data, and just like a wing and a prayer that you get enough billing hours during the snowstorm. Like that's um, it. <laughs> what is it? Most people rise and grind or rise and shine. I caffeinate and hope for the best. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so wrapping up our discussion, one of the biggest things that if you are a practitioner that I would like for you, and if that's you're an RBT, you're a BCBA, you're someone who lives in a rural area who's interested in those things, just because there are a lot of barriers doesn't mean that there aren't so many benefits. And that doesn't make service delivery harder. The, you know, there are barriers, but there's also barriers in urban areas. There's barriers anywhere you do ABA because the point of ABA is to overcome barriers. And so the biggest piece of advice that I would give you is if you're interested in working in a rural area just because it might look different than how you were trained as a how you were trained or how you got your supervision doesn't mean that it's not worth it and it doesn't mean that those barriers cannot be overcome so that would be you know that's my biggest advice I think I can say for myself working in a rural area has been the most rewarding thing I've done so far in my career. And I'm very much looking forward to growing it. And I'm very much looking forward to being off, able to offer more services. And if you are working in, you know, something I've thought about a lot actually is, well, what am I going to do whenever <laughs> other people figure out how great this place is and then they want to come and they want to 
work in the area. And, you know, because you think about that, you're like, oh, is that going to like affect me? Is that going to affect my business? Is that going to affect whatever? But it's not. Like, yeah, I would rather have competition for my work than not have people have access to services. So if you're thinking about it, moving to a rural area or going back to your home of, of a rural area and practicing, I, I would recommend it. 10 out of 10 would do again. All of that being said, um, it is time for show and tell. But this time, we're going to do New Year's resolution show and tell because the time of this recording and the time of its release is January 2022. Don't know how we made it. Honestly, didn't think I was going to, but here we are. So it was Zach's idea to do New Year's resolutions. So Zach gets to go first. I have three New Year's resolutions, maybe more. We'll start with three. One, I'm going to read fewer comments sections on social media. That is the big one. I've made progress there. I wish there was a way to collect data on it other than like collect data on the frequency and using like a self-management program. Actually, that that's exactly how I'm going to do it. Okay. Never too late to start, even though it's the first week of the year. Uh, second one is um, to read more books. Um, and um, I'm going to take that very seriously instead of doom scrolling on social media while I watch something mindless on television. I'm going to try to read. Uh, and then the third thing is, <clears throat> and I hope this is going to come to fruition, I'm going to try to take piano lessons. Um, I realize that I love music so much and I could teach myself a lot, but there's something about um, the technique of the piano that I really would like to learn from an expert that diagrams and videos and things are just not helping me do. So that's my plan. And my, those are my New Year's resolutions. I like it. Ah. I, I like that. I like it. Okay. Um, Jesse, you've been quiet today, so it's your turn. I never really set New Year's resolutions because I can never stick to them. Um, just being completely honest. But I do want to say that this year I'm going to say no to more things because... I'm going to put myself first. I always say yes and jump to help others in my life. And I think this year is going to be the year of me and what's best for me and then what's best for others. Um, I also will. I like I'm that. also going to try to read less books because I've gotten to the point where I'm reading so much that I'm not retaining anything. I just everything in my mind is mushed together. It's just one ongoing yeah. book. So I set a goal to do 50 books instead of 100, which is what my goal the last two years were. And hopefully it'll let me slow down. And I also want to try different genres. I think that's cool. Especially because having been an avid reader, like in different parts of my life, um, grad school kind of killed it for me. But bringing, you know... I think I, I completely understand because it kind of gets to a point where it's almost like the voice that we all have in our head is just the voice that you – it's like an mm -hmm. author instead of like your own voice because your brain is so My used brain to reading narrates in a certain everything way. that I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then it's kind of like, okay, but is this – am I just like – dissociating from my life instead of having a hobby like dancing on that line so I get that completely Tyler what about Wait. you 
<clears throat> Jesse, you're not going to say no to uh, requests to assist us with social media posts. No, right? not work related. I meant more personal, more personal life. <laughs> okay, good, because I'm still going to ask you for last minute things like I always do. I can't say no to work related things because it's my livelihood. Fair. I mean, but yeah, but <laughs> just, you know. There's this episode, I think it's like episode two of Burn this out. podcast that you produce on, and it talks about having boundaries, <laughs> and you are allowed to have those in work. You, they don't, like, you are allowed to have boundaries in work. True. I'm not going to say so no to just, my brother. Just fun fact. <laughs> well, then I'll ask you, and you can say no to me. He can ask <laughs> me, and I'll ask you, and you can say no to She's me. She's less likely to that? say no to you. you probably, yeah. Jesus. Well, then I don't know I'm not going to say no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tyler, your turn. What's your resolution? Much like Jesse, I don't set resolutions. Um, I set, like, monthly goals. Um, I just feel like resolutions are something you have to be obligated to do, like, throughout the whole year. Um, and that's just not me. So if I set, like, monthly goals, it's just okay. Um, also, like Zach... Uh, spend time out of the comment sections because they really do uh, rub me the wrong way sometimes. Um, pass this exam. Um, and I guess be more productive, like productivity, I guess you could say. Um, but yeah, those are this month. Well, no, okay, well, passing the exam. I'm not taking the exam this month. So, but that is a goal for this year. Yeah, that's a good goal. What about you? Um, well, mine is the opposite of Jesse, actually, because I've listened to so much. Like, I listen to podcasts all the time. I listen to audiobooks. But I miss, like, holding a paperback book and reading it. So I've been reading... Um, this year, I want to read, like, all my favorite books from my childhood, primarily because I think we grow up and we forget that, like, just because we're adults doesn't mean that we can't enjoy things we enjoyed when we were kids. So I'm rereading the Little House on the Prairie series, and you can make fun of me if you want to, but it's freaking good. Like, it's so good. And then it's been snowing, and I've just been, like, in my bed with my, like, multiple quilts because I want to be Laura Ingalls Wilder, apparently, and just reading my book. And I just love it. Um... And then I want to get better at my embroidery. Like, that's really important to me this year because I feel like I've, like I was showing someone earlier, I'm looking at my first embroidery and I'm like, girl, you can do better than that. That's just important to me. I want to, I want to be able to like hone a skill that's beautiful and that's what I want. So Little House on the Prairie, it does bring back some nostalgia because I used to watch it with my grandparents. Aww. Um, so it is very sweet, and I do love that show. However, since you want to embroider, you need to tell Chris to get you a rocking chair, and then you can sit in your rocking chair with a quilt and oh, yes. embroider. Just oh my god, yes! Just like yes, I don't know who the mother was, need. but I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure her she name done was that Caroline. Shows. Okay. Her name was Caroline, and also the shows weren't 100% accurate to the books. Just. So you know. Okay, look, I didn't ask for accuracy, okay? I didn't ask for accuracy. Listen. Because I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure the Harry Potter movies are not accurate to the books, but I still love those movies. All right, guys, thanks for being with us. Um, we hope 
that you will act out and listen again. Um, you can find us wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can like and subscribe. Have a good day. Bye. See you guys. Side note, if this is uploaded late, it's because I have rural internet and it's slow. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.